Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 193rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that helps you command the endless frontiers of the magic economy. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. Glad to be here. Uh, fall is be is has set in upon us here. Getting a little crisp, getting a little cool, and uh, tons of magic news to go along with the change of the season. Here, we can't even keep up. There's you know periods in August where we're like, oh, what are we going to talk about today? I don't know what to cover. And then the last two weeks have been like, we Kaboom. can't keep up. The, I, I've definitely sensed a uh, exhaustion, <laughs> for lack of a better word, in our Discord. There are people people in there that have been with us kind of step for step through all the madness all year long. Uh, 2019 being a, well, easily one of the busiest years ever for MTG Finance. And, you know, you just you see people checking in a little less less often, taking a breather, which is perfectly understandable. The uh, I thought I was just about caught up to getting two or 300 frontier related listings up online for sale sales going really well. Uh, and then I realized that I'd just been posting the stuff that I already owned before frontier uh, pioneer was announced. So, <laughs> um, and all of my pioneer specs showed up <laughs> in a big box today, all my mail getting bounced from the U S and now I'm way behind. Mm, a lot to keep up with. I, uh, yeah, I shipped a ton off. I shipped, I don't know, like two grand or something, 2,500 worth of Bila stuff. So now I'm locked and load and spent a little bit of it so far. Uh, but there's just gonna be so many opportunities here as we move forward, especially after this first wave of bands, which are garbage, but we can cover <laughs> that later. It's, it, it's, it's funny. I definitely got burnt there. Um, if you'd asked me six months ago when we were talking about, you know, the format that would replace modern, what might be banned, I would not have said Oath of Nism. All right. So should, should we just get into this now and, and make the Commander Products yeah, topic yeah. of the week? Yep. I think these are the worst bands that, hey, this is the second worst ban announcement in Magic's history. The first was not banning Felidar Guardian and then banning it three days later because that was awful but this just seems bad up and down left and right and it's just like i don't feel that i believe that all of these may have been necessary in time but i do not believe that they were there yet even with the numbers aaron gave us which i will accept to be true i still don't think that this is where where we needed to be at this point in time it's weird the so, <laughs> getting rid of Oath of Nyssa is one of these things where the card is dying for the sins of other problems. Yeah. And that's fine. I've made money off Oath of Nyssa a couple different times now. And keep in mind that this was already a called spec before Pioneer was even on our radar. This, like, Felidar Guardian Sahili is already a thing in modern. It's done plenty of work in modern this year. And we'll eventually get one or two more pieces that might push it up another half step. So 
I'm not like fire sailing my foil Sahilis or, uh, well, I guess that's the, or my Othanisses. I've got, keep in mind that Othanisses are still excellent in planeswalker focused builds that include green for commander. Yeah. So, for instance, Atraxa, most popular commander of all time, I run a foil Russian copy of Othanissa gladly, um, does all the things I want it to do. But I, on power level alone, the card does not deserve to be banned. The It's the presence of cards like Oko and Teferi, and the fact that the Monogreen Devotion deck could use that early pip and go find some other piece it needed to drive the nails home, that put it on the chopping block. And I, this dance they're going to do where a bunch of stuff's going to take splash damage while they try to not ban Oko is just getting kind of silly. Like, I think Oko is so egregious, probably as, if not more so, than Hogak, because Hogak was not quite as multi-format ridiculous as Oko is. Um, that, well, and wasn't a problem in standard because it was printed in the modern. The, just cancel the card do some kind of recall program hand out a bunch of arena codes and suck it up because all this other song and dance they're going to do is going to get to a point where i would be willing to bet that one or two more things could go down before they finally ban oko and pioneer which seems likely and down the road they're going to end up unbanning one or two of those when the format gets a little bit closer to modern's current power level and banning things like Othanissa just looks ridiculous. <laughs> like if, if Stoneforge Mystic can come out can come off the ban list in modern, then Othanissa can come off the ban list in Pioneer. Yeah. Especially once some of those planeswalkers are finally ad- are admitted to being just wrong. That and that's part of what really annoys the hell out of me here, is that like clearly this card in a vacuum is not that good. Like it's definitely not bannable. And the call it such is an issue. And I'm I'm looking at the their description here is it's a, it's a powerful card selection tool that brings other synergies. Uh, Othanissa has been a strong con- contributor to the strength and consistency. It would continue to exacerbate problematic strategies. Okay. They have yet to tell us actually anything about why this card was a problem, right? You could write this, but well, they're, they're, they're just saying the same thing I did. They just don't want to say, yeah, well, them. hold on. It also contributes to the consistency of strategies that utilize a large number of three mana planeswalkers. Okay, so okay. do you think the problem might be that you keep making busted ass three mono planeswalkers? Like, is that a, <laughs> is that a possibility yeah. here that you printed Teferi and uh, Narset and Oko all within like six months? Maybe that's the issue here. Like, Oath of Nyss is an interesting card because it gives Green a little bit of card selection that's really great. And I saw somebody call it Green's Faithless Suiting, which is horseshit because part of Faithless Suiting's appeal is that it dumps cards into the graveyard where this does not do that uh this is this is minor selection plus color fixing for a specific permanent in a permanent type you want people to play with like yeah and it's not it's the the other angle here is that the other angle here is it's also taking a bullet for once upon a time because it it coexisting with once upon a time gives green way too much selection in a format comparatively where nobody else has it like, the Arclight decks, lo and behold, I was right, they actually do still have the pieces to make it go, and it looks like they're going to be Tier 1 now after these bans. But they're running, you know, two-mana filtering effects. And Oath, you get to run 
alongside Once Upon a Time, now you got eight things that are smoothing out your deck. I don't think if Once Upon a Time existed that Oath would have got the answer. Yeah. I, I think they would have held off. The and I and I think that you take either Oko or Once Upon a Time out of the picture, and likewise the card would survive. Yeah, it what bothers me about these so much is that these are very clearly Oath and Leyline are very clearly not the individual issue. It's that you are throwing them in front of the bus to protect your new set. Like Oath took the bullet. Oath, I think Oath and Leyline both took the bullets for Once Upon a Time and Oko. And it's just really annoys the hell out of me that and they're they're that's making business decisions, but then trying to pass it off as something else, and it's just such nonsense. Now, keep in mind my point from last week about how I predict there are more busted planeswalkers to come before we before they turn off the faucet, because I believe strongly that the next couple sets at least were designed all from the same kind of design taught the same design ethos around making planeswalkers more interesting, more powerful, breaking the prior mold of like tick up to draw a card, tick down to destroy a permanent and then have a vaguely game winning thing yeah. as your ultimate. And so I will not be at all surprised. I mean, we've already seen El- Elspeth. <laughs> so, and, and it could be that the Theros walkers are going to be a little tough to evaluate if they're in the same model as that Elspeth that was leaked. Um, but as we get to Ikoria, won't surprise me in the slightest if between there and Theros Beyond Death, we get another one or two nasty little walkers. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And just working backwards here a little bit. So, you know, clearly Oath is just taking a bullet for once upon a time. And it's going to look ludicrous that this is on the ban list two years from now. Leyline of Abundance, you know, Aaron was talking about Nykthos having won 10 times more trophies than the other decks this past weekend. Um and generally being very good against the field. And I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that whatsoever. I guess I believe those numbers. My problem is that how many days was that true for? Was it like three or four days? Because that's not long at all. Like it seems like you haven't given people a chance to figure out how to deal with this. And it's not like this is modern where you have a defined set of decks that form a metagame and then a new deck shows up. And now the existing decks who know what they do, who know what they're good at, adjust to combat this new strategy like we saw with Hogak. This is, nobody knows what they're doing yet. New decks are showing up every day. No one knows what the pillars of the format are. So you have Nykthos who kind of takes the lead for a couple days and it's like, well, everyone else can't even figure out what the first 30 cards in their deck are supposed to be. So like, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they're not clear how to how to battle a deck like this. Um, but, you know, if this lasted for like three weeks, then I could be like, yeah, okay, like the format's having trouble keeping up. Let's take it off for now and maybe we can bring it back later. Um, but it just seems like you didn't give the format any time to try and adjust to it. So it's not that I'm saying Leyline of Abundance should 100% be legal. I just think it's way too soon to take an axe to it. Well, it's funny. I'm super proud of having made the call at the right time and managing managing to have buy-listed all of the copies that managed to get to me. <laughs> and this is the problem with me collecting cards from all over the world, is that sometimes my smartest specs that I go deepest on are going to end up stinging me if they're too good. And especially in this era where Wizards has printed a lot of two good cards in 2019. Um, and once I had seen the green deck in action uh, on Twitch a few times, it didn't surprise me. Like, or I started to like get suspicious that it was in position to take over the format for some period of time. But like you said, since when is magic about 
you know, where what happened to the old chestnut of wait till the pros get their hands on it? This is the era of Pioneer where most many of the pros have barely tested this at all. Because the ones that are focused on the forthcoming Pro Tour that was playing Standard and Draft don't have much of a reason to be messing around with Pioneer unless they're, they happen to be personally interested. And really, the most, most of the streaming action has been from the SCG guys who are leading up to one of the events that got flipped over to Pioneer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was listening to, like, one of the pod- podcasts with a bunch of pros. I think Siggy was on it, and Sam Black, and pa- Paulo was on it. And honestly, their conversation was insanely loose. Like, worse than us, for sure. They they had, like, Sam Black was pretty much on top of things, but Paulo like, barely was talking like he'd barely even looked at the cards involved, or the decks. And they were just, you know, they still had pro-level analysis of, like, quick takes, but they were quick takes. This was not the analysis coming from the pros, you know, after they've been testing something for six weeks, because we haven't had six weeks for them to test it. Right. They so, they haven't needed to. Like, why would they bother? They're, they have a Mythic Championship coming up in a week, right? So, They're so, not interested in trying to figure Pioneer out right now. And and I think that, like, part of this is they're so worried about, you know, they, they, they know they're going to have to ban Oko in Standard soon. Like, I think that's a given. Um, the... And they've, you know, had multiple other bannings recently. They are gun shy about it. And yet they're the thing that they seem to be more gun shy about is bad formats as opposed to proactive bannings. Because dead formats drive people away. Okay, but you declined to ban Oko to presumably save pack sales for Eldraine. But that pushes people away from the format, so they're not buying Eldraine. Like, the, some of this just doesn't add up. And it, 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 the bottom line is precisely what you said. They probably could have given this a little more time, even if it was just two more weeks, to see if the format has an answer. Because the thing is that there's not enough major tournaments between now and two weeks from now to justify making a move. You can just let the green deck run rampant, See how the format adjusts or doesn't, and then you'll have a very a pretty a much clearer picture of what's up. Mm-hmm. But now, and the funny thing is, by saving Nykthos, they set up the they signal that either it's a reprint in the mystery boosters or in Theros Beyond Death, though that though that seems unlikely to me. Um, but also that they wanted people to get usage out of it in coordination with the devotion cards that are forthcoming in that set. So there, there's a lot of like manipulating formats and people's collections for their own sales goals going on here that none of us need to be on board with. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I mean too. Is like you're like, okay, well, the problem is Leyline of Abundance. Uh, really, it's not Nykthos. It's not the land that taps for seven mana on turn two. Oh, you have Theros coming out in three months and you want people's Nykthoses to still be playable. Uh, so this is about sales again, not about... Yeah. The best card to target, which is also well, crap. Well, and not about great formats, because if you get rid of the... You can argue that the green deck was essentially a combo deck, and you can argue that Sahili Cat's a combo deck, because it is. And wow. between the two of them, if you take them both off the table, you're staring at a mostly a big pile of mid-range, and you're about to see Oko do a lot of work. <laughs> There's Because it's still just as good of a card, and now two of the best decks in the format are gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and on the Felidar Guardian thing, they say it uh, threatens metagame diversity by requiring decks to present certain types of interaction. Uh, 
rather than allowing this combination to warp deck building in the metagame around it, we're choosing to ban it. Okay, but you're you didn't say the com the the format warped around it. You're saying you don't want to let it get there. I mean, Felder Guardians not, definitely been in the format so far. But well, I, I'm not even I'm not even sure what they're talking about because Bolt doesn't matter much. Bolt and Path being absent in in Frontier is not a big enough difference versus that particular deck. They've still got there's still plenty of cards that can break up Sahili Felidar. Yeah, like so this, this, can, form, can, this can, format has has Fatal Push and it has Thoughtseize and it can, has compare this to, compare this to Splinter Twin. Splinter Twin was you could have zero permanence on the board on turn three. You flash down a uh, Deceiver Exarch at the end of your opponent's turn. They and, and then have to, they have say again <coughs> and then Splinter Twin. Well, yeah, they, well they have to answer. Hold on, it'll be a little more granular. They have to answer this the Deceiver Exarch right then and there at a one for one. If you were planning on answering the Splinter Twin, you're now doing it with one less land because the Deceiver Exarch is removing your land from the equation. Then they untap and they Splinter Twin. So they force you to interact with a creature or an, or an enchantment all at instant speed from a board of zero permanence. With Sahili Felidar, they have to, if, if you're going to pull this off by turn four, they have to Sahili on turn three and then Felidar on turn four. So you have an entire turn cycle that you can deal with Sahili and still have be able to present an answer for Felidar, Felidar Guardian on turn four. And when they Felidar Guardian on turn four, they're gonna be tapped out uh, to try and pull it off. So like, it's not, they're not gonna be able to put the combo together until with protection until at least turn five, possibly turn six or even seven, which doesn't seem like a crazy clock for a combo like this. Something has to be the best deck in the format. And I just don't understand why this was so much more of a problem. Yeah, especially if you're talking about how mono green was just crushing the format, then like, how is this too good? If mono green is your, is the boogeyman that's 60% of the room. Yeah. Again, I could buy that this eventually needed to go, but the, what they're giving us is the premise and the data that we've gotten does not tell that story. I, I really like that they wanted the to get aggressive with the bands, but ah, what? Go ahead. I told our Discord that I was 50-50 the week before that it was Felidar and Leyline, but I did not see Oath and Nyssa being added to that pile. The They could have waited longer. They didn't. Now, the interesting thing there is, yeah, I get burned on some Oaths, um, but I already got rid of my Foil Felidars because that just <laughs> seemed crazy to hold on to um, and got a really nice uh, buy list on those. But immediately a bunch of other stuff starts selling. Like the stuff from all the other decks that didn't get affected. So like stuff from the mono black deck goes off. I still sold Nick like Nykthos, no problem, after the ban, because people need it for the mono black deck. And it also signaled that they don't want to ban it. So people figured it was safe. And, you know, all sorts of other stuff that we're going to see on our fast movers list this week has been selling. So mm-hmm. a-, a format that changes the changes always to the benefit of MTG Finance. If you have a well-diversified set of specs or a big collection, you can just kind of like shrug off most of the stuff. Like if you just bought a hundred and like a $200 set of Okos, yeah, and, and you only play standard and you have one deck, <laughs> then you're going to be pretty pissed if your Okos get banned. I get that. But when you're a little deeper into the hobby and you've got a, a lot wider closet full of cards you're probably whatever downside there is to a banning is going to be made up 
by made up for by the chaos that ensues afterwards. Yeah, and I want to highlight. I have no um, no money in this. I did not lose any money. I have like eight line of abundances that I paid a dollar for. I, I don't think I have any Othanises at this point. I, I have a couple Sahilis, but I'm not even that bent out of shape about it. Like, it's not a big deal. So this is not a, oh, he just lost money. He's pissed. It's a, I just feel like these are all made as, as a bad decision. Um, well, I mean, definitely not because I it, it actually will cost me more when they ban Oko because I've got some extended arts from Japan and stuff coming yeah. than, it will, than it would, you know, than my super cheaply acquired Oath of Nisses that I didn't manage to sell out of. Yeah, the the oath the Oko is going to give me a little more because I've got like a playset of the foil borderless Okos that have right. uh, already come down since I bought them just because people are worried about the ban. Um, you know, I guess I, I really liked how they wanted to be aggressive with the bans. I thought that was a good idea. And I could definitely see a universe in which it's very clear. Like, oh, we announced Pioneer and in the first six days, Aetherworks Marvel is 60% of the room and is not losing. And it's been six or seven days and nobody's presenting an answer. Nothing's good enough. Like then you're like, oh yeah, this card needs to go. Kind of like uh, Oko, except they're, you know, the only card that's coming you know, that had a sustained dominance is Oko, but they didn't target it. And again, Nykthos might've gotten there, but like it needed at least a week, I feel like to spell it out. I don't, we've hammered this enough now. I just feel like the, their business interests ahead of the health of the format uh, seems nakedly on display here in a way that it hasn't been in the past. Yeah, let's be clear. It's not like the format's unhealthy because of these bans. It's more just that y- you can only throw so much uncertainty at players before they will be chilled on the format. I could easily see a more casually invested player just looking at all this and going, you know what, I'm just going to figure Pioneer out in like three months. When that GP rolls around to my area on the East Coast, then I'll put my Pioneer deck together once they get through the like 2019 like Wild West bannings. But that's what Wizards, kind of what Wizards wanted anyways, right? I mean, part of their initial announcement was, look... We've announced this format, but we are going the ban fast and loose. Uh, so be careful. And Aaron, you can tell uh, if you look on social media that Aaron was kind of peeved about all this, about the way people took to the format. And that's why they started doing the every Monday ban thing, because they're like, you know, we told you guys not to buy cards yet because of what's going on. You assholes didn't listen to us. And now we're going to try and like make this a little more formulaic for you but like what are we supposed to do you guys are going to screw yourselves despite us being very clear about how to go forward mm. well I, I i mean i don't know how much i buy into that if, if you have a live format like it's one thing to, they could have said something like here's pioneer here's what it's going to be all about and there's not going to be a single event for it till january other than an internal league of pros we're going to run have running it on twitch like they could have used their pro their you know, cadre of pros to test the format for three months and get people all excited about it. And then ban some stuff on the basis of that and then unleash players onto the format. Well, I I mean, I kind of get the struggle they have there because they kind of did that, right? They said, we've introduced a new format called Pioneer. It's, there's going to be some moto events. It's not really in paper yet. Uh, Oh, but it is. That's the thing. Well, but, but, but no sanctioned, but no sanctioned, like no official paper events, right? Like no, no, it is. 
they it's the SEG switched over a major tournament, and so did a bunch of other tournament tournament organizers. There there but are major pioneer events going down throughout the rest of the year. There are now, but those yeah. are all third party, right? Well, those aren't those <laughs> they, aren't. They're, but, they're partner. They're they're all partners with Wizards, and Wizards, you know, obviously has access to, to discussing what they're going to do with those people. And those discussions probably went something like, "Yeah, we'd kind of prefer you didn't make a big deal out of Pioneer quite yet." And them saying, "Okay, but standards broken, and we're losing money, so that's what we're going to do." Yeah, and I think that's where the challenge was: is this came at a an inopportune time in that regard because they standard was so bad that people were really excited to have something other than standard to play. And like, yes, Wizards and Star City and Channel Fireball all have are all, you know, partners. But, you know, kind of at the same time, I'm guessing Wizards didn't approach Star City and say, please don't run Pioneer events yet. And maybe they should have, but it seems like they didn't. So, like, I guess I kind of get where Aaron's coming from. Like, we wanted you guys to take it easy. Well, this got straightened out online a little bit, but you all just dove right in. And now you've put us in this position where we feel like we're going to end up harming people. I kind of get I kind of get it. I still don't like the choices they made, but I get where they how they got there. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that a situation that's of their own making, to be honest. Well... I guess not sympathy, but like I understand how they got here. Uh, and I do think it's kind of funny that Aaron's annoyed about it because he was like, why did you guys not do you guys did not listen to us? And now you put us in a situation where we don't know how to not hurt you. Um, but it's kind of like how you don't want to your kid does something you wish they didn't. And you now you have to punish them and you didn't want to. But they kind of made you. But, listen, if you show uh, your kid the bike a month before you know, their birthday, don't expect them not to. St- like sneaking and ride it right yeah well that too right like like they had to have known that people were going to jump all over this as well which is a very fair point like well of course people got excited about pioneer because standard sucks so like what the hell did you expect them to do also very fair um but did you know that i'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with everybody and our show is produced by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, did you see the Diablo 4 trailer this week? Uh, I did. I was very busy this weekend, but I did get around to watching pretty much all the Diablo content, yes. Is Diablo your jam? I seem to remember it being. Diablo is very much my jam. I have been jamming Diablo since Diablo 2, where I put countless hours in, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners have. Uh, I've played most of the Diablo 3 seasons in some capacity. I play a lot of Path. Uh, you know, for for as much as I play video games, a lot of that video game time is Path of Exile these days. So I I I, I can't pick a for a archetype of game that I associate more closely with at this point. Um, you know what? This is my podcast. I'm, we're going to talk about Diablo. That's okay. I've decided this is okay. Uh, it looks interesting. You know, if you, it looks, first of all, the polish is very good, as is to be expected. Um, I like that it's not really cartoony, or I should say, I like that it's not really cartoony in the way that some of the Blizzard properties are. They've dialed it back a little bit, um, and that's part of them trying to keep it darker, uh, because I got too many complaints that Diablo 3 was too bright and colorful, which was garbage complaints. The game looked fine. 
Uh, but that's fine. It looks good now. It does look very slow, very plotting. Um, and especially if you've played any Path of Exile, which is just ultra fast, it looks so slow. But at the same time, it does look amusing to play. It looks very visceral. There's a lot of momentum and weight to the player's actions. My biggest complaint is that it looks like it's more like Diablo 3.5. Uh, and I'm a little worried that there's just not enough content in that game it looks like it just looks like it's not bringing anything to the table that isn't already being done by somebody else and better i was totally blown away by the trailer uh wanted it to be a movie and then it (laughs) when i saw the gameplay i was just like this is the same old blizzard thing man like you wait 10 years for a a a property to get its next version at the door and you're expecting some kind of like major advancement in technology and they're just giving you more of the same because they want to hit the ball right down the middle yeah yeah so like i feel like I've, I, I feel like i've played this game already I, I didn't look at i didn't i watched the 30 minute gameplay segment and i was just like yep i played this i was playing this 20 years ago don't feel any huge impetus to jump back in on this again yeah yeah and i mean i guess i you know i have trouble determining whether that's player expectations because you know, they were on Overwatch 2, and, like, if you look at the trailers for Overwatch 2, it's not like you're seeing something you haven't seen before. Like, first-person shooters have the same issues. Like, what is this doing with the the genre that I wasn't already doing? Um, or any of those types of games that are a little, a little more, I don't want to say formulaic, but a little more established. Like, I guess I could see certain game types having more flexibility in different releases. Like, I think puzzle games are phenomenal in how much you can see maturation and growth and development over the years because people keep doing really clever stuff with them. I was just trying Baba is you the other day and I'm like, this is really cool. Like uh, this is very novel and antechamber and portal where all these really big um, departures from your, you know, what you might consider a puzzle game. So they were always fresh and exciting games like first person shooters, RTS games, RPGs, feel like they're working within much smaller, much tighter confines because like that's what the game is supposed to be and what players are looking for. So it's harder to innervate within it. But I agree with you. I ultimately agree with you that you look at the trailer for Diablo 4 and you're like, what is it doing that the three didn't already do and the other games have been already done? If you go back and look at Diablo 3 launch trailers from when that game was first spoiled, I will say that the game in those trailers and what hit shelves a couple years later were very different. So I'm expecting that what we've seen today is not going to be what Diablo 4 looks like when we actually have it in our hands. But um, they have a lot of ground to cover to get me excited about it. And I'm an idiot, so I will probably end up buying it almost regardless. But I might not be thrilled about it. I I would compare it to something like, you talked about first-person shooters, the advent of Fortnite and the you know 100 person battle royales where the map keeps shrinking into and forcing you into increasingly intense conflicts mm-hmm. was a mate was a major advancement I, and I, you know and has I, and you're I absolutely right you're absolutely right on that by the way and i'm not seeing that yet in what we've seen from diablo 4 yeah that, that's <laughs> I, a, hope, that's I hope it's there and i just haven't seen it yet that's a very fair point, and I guess I kind of wasn't thinking about that when I was mentioning it, but you're absolutely right, is that, that PUBG and all of these successors pioneered that type of game uh, and, and changed the first-person shooter genre, definitely. That like, was cause, the cause last time Call it of Duty, happened. Like, Ellie and I played Call of Duty for a solid 10 years. Well, eight years, I guess. And then we took a couple of years off, 
because it was just like the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then I fooled around with PUBG a little bit on PC and then kind of put it aside. Didn't really didn't like the feel of it. But when I played Fortnite a little bit, realized that they were somebody was starting to figure it out, like getting it, making it smoother. Yeah. Making yeah. making the whole experience a little bit more um, refined. And then when I played the Call of Duty version, well, that sent me down the rabbit hole for six months. Okay. Now, I'm, a, I, no, I'm a back at the other side of that, having ultimately determined that that was cool for a while, but ultimately I'm still playing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm pretty specific about where I spend my time because you don't have as much of it when you got kids. So I'm looking for the game that's going to take me to that next new and exciting thing and i'm not seeing it so Uh, far yeah i completely agree with you and part of it might be in an arpg it might it might be difficult to show people that like there are some things that are easier like a little hard to kind of get you know the the experiences in playing it it's it's hard to see in a trailer but i'm not sure i want to give them too much credit on that you're absolutely right i had kind of forgotten about like the PUBG and fortnite but they did change first person shooters but they were the first games to do it in a very long time uh, you know, when was the last time we saw something like that happen? It's it's been a very long time in that genre. Uh, well, I don't know. I think that I think the open world thing they've got going that's akin to sort of Destiny is uh, is interesting. That could be that could be the thing, right? That might be the hook that that game needs, um, and we just don't know it yet. But we'll find out. I mean, this is also a month where we've got that new Kojima game that's out. Death Stranding, yeah, yeah, that. You know, I haven't fully wrapped my head around yet whether it is going to still seem amazing in, in three months. Seems like it's got a lot of repetitive shit in it that probably would drive me crazy. Um, which is, I think, typical of games where you're trying to have people cover a lot of ground, but you want to have some really great narrative experiences built in. You tend to have to have a lot of filler. So I think I'll wait for my little brother to get deep in on it and then tell me whether I'm supposed to buy it. Yeah, I mean, I assume it's like most of kojima's stuff where it sounds absolutely insane uh and like you read the premises and you like see some trailers and you're like oh my god this game is like crazy but then you realize just how much just dumb crap is in the game that they're like oh this is a lot of time that i'm spending doing garbage essentially to get to the parts of the game that are like exciting and different uh so I assume that's, but you know, that's a whole other, whole other ball game. All right. So let's jump in here on our top movers. Every single card on this list is pioneer related. Let me blow through some of these pack rat from RTR up from three to $4. You're looking for a buy list play there on the back of the mono black devotion decks that take advantage of, uh, Nykthos, uh, now absent the threat of a banning, uh, Pything needle, uh, excellent answer to Pything pithing. I've always said pithing, but it pithing might be pithing. Pithing, yeah. Like a pith hat. Not 100%. I'm going to go with pithing. Pithing needle, 350 to $5, 42% gain. Um, very good answer to many of the Planeswalker threats in the for- format. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, that could easily catch a reprint somewhere. So I don't want to be holding them very long. You see Bylas uh, acting, responding positively to that. Especially like on a GP floor or something would be where I would expect to be able to unload it if people are... Needing to pick it up for big pioneer tournaments, that'll be a good place to dump that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I want to take this moment, since you've given me the window, to highly recommend that if you want to get rid of your cards, you should. if you're lo- looking to sell cards for whatever reason, 
you should always try and do it at a GP if you can. Um, and I have a recent experience just to kind of explain why I bought cards from a vendor received them, bought cards from a vendor as near mint, received them in what I would consider near mint condition. I basically put them in one hard sleeve, like took them out of the bubble mailer, looked at them, stuck them in a hard case, put them on my shelf. Two months later, I send those exact two cards back to the same company for in buy list, for buy list uh, because they'd gone up. It was grand. It was a GP promo batter skulls and they graded them as SP. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me that these cards you sent me, you're now as near mint, you're now calling LP. Uh, but I can guarantee you that you, I would have gotten near mint for those on a GP floor. And I frequently am surprised by what gets taken as near mint on a GP floor relative to when I send cards into buy list. So if you have any GPs near you at all and you're thinking about being a, doing a big buy list, it's worth hanging on and bringing them to the floor because you will get, I mean, really, you could, you could save. I would say as much as 15% on your buy list order or get 15% more out of your buy list just by doing it at a GP because of condition. Um, and that's not speaking for however much you might be able to get if you're bringing a hot card or something that they need. Fair. Uh, we also got Whisperwood Elemental Foils going from 11 to 17. Not sure to what extent you're going to see demand for that card absent the Mono Green Devotion deck. Um, so I'd certainly be looking to exit on that one. Um, I haven't seen many of the green mid-range builds using the card. We've also got Thassa God of the Sea taking off 15 to 25. There is a mono blue uh, aggro deck floating around. There may end up being a mono blue devotion deck at some point. Um, that one's up 67%. Definitely looking for exits on those. I saw the full playset the other day. Um, I would say roughly half this list is stuff I've sold this week. Declaration in Stone, Shadows over Innistrad, $1.50 to $2.50. This is the kind of thing you're going to want to lean into a buy list on. Uh, thing in the Ice, my call from last week. See it going 10 to 17. Arclight Phoenix very well positioned in a world that is absent both Felidar Guardian and the Mono Green Devotion deck. Uh, and then we've got Nissa Voice of Zendikar, which thankfully is not related to the Devotion deck, but is more of a hardened scales card. Um, so that, that one's probably got a little bit more, uh, room to run given that scales is very well positioned as well. Um, I'd put scales and Arclight Phoenix right up there. Uh, and that's, uh, the card going from five to eight fifty seventy percent gain. Mm-hmm. Then the Nissa is, um, Nissa seems like it's going to be hard to get too far out ahead because it has that reprint in the dual deck that added a ton more copies to the market. Uh, but I could see it. It moving on from there. Is that one with trash foil though? I don't remember. I think the dual decks had the rough foils. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's not going to be the the card can still do well in spite of that printing. Uh, but you're still adding a ton of copies to the market regardless. You know, like they might not be the best copies, but. But if the gap gets wide enough, people may dip into that image. Right. They'll buy them if they're $15 cheaper, you know, or, or like, you're not even, if they're like $7 cheaper, it's like, well, I could pay 20 for a normal Oath of the Gatewatch one or 11 for the dual deck foil. I'll just take the dual deck ones for now. Um, Abrupt Decay, the WMCQ promo, 32 to 58, uh, seen play in all the mid rangey Basically, any Oko deck also has black. Abrupt Decay is in. Abrupt Decay is also probably the best answer in the format to Oko. Um, 
So no surprise that this is getting a lot of traction there. Sphinx's Revelation, 450 up towards nine, showing up uh, that the Modern Masters three copies specifically, although I'm sure the Return the Ravnica copies are also, uh, yeah, Return the Ravnica copies are also getting a little bit of, of traction. I, I, this one, I would probably be happy to sell here. Sphinx's Revelation is rarely played as a four of. And more importantly, why are you casting Sphinx's Revelation when Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise are legal? You know, I have a friend who's like a diehard Just Guy player, and he's like, "Why would you ever play this over for Dig Through Dig Through Time?" So, <clears throat> I, I, I've heard multiple pros call this card unplayable in this format. So I yeah. say sell, sell, sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of your favorite cards here, Field of the Dead, uh, foils from ten to twenty. In spite of having been banned in standard, <laughs> uh, finding new life in Pioneer, I feel like we haven't really seen. Nope. The proof of this haven't gotten this, there yet. No, is, I've seen the decks is, with it, but this is speculatory. The, yeah. This is somebody saying, you know what? It's going to get there again. Yeah. Um, it got there in standard. It got there uh, in. <coughs> Excuse me. In all sorts of fringe decks that people have thrown around in various formats on stream, and I was surprised. I I went ahead and buy listed my foils um before the ban and was happy to get out clean with like a triple up or something and i was early like they're 20 bucks the foils are 20 bucks now and the other key point here is that this is answering the question that's been on the table since the summer with core 2020 having the 50 percent boost in foil drop rates could a strong foil from these sets still appreciate in short order and the answer is yes like this is november 5th that card came out uh july is that correct uh yeah it should be around there or late june like early first, july uh, no i think june was modern horizon so it must have been late july i think it was i think we were talking about how core 2020 was only three weeks after horizons so i'm pretty sure it was mid-july so july to august august to september, september october four months so f- a foil rare at a 50 percent boost can still take off from i think it's low was probably like two or three dollars when it was first announced um, uh yeah might even cheaper than that and now they're 20 plus so that foil drop rate, I want to circle back to some of my earlier analysis on this point, which was that boosted foil drop rates didn't necessarily mean a ton more in the market. Hmm. Because so much, uh, because of the attrition principle, because of so much of magic consumption never making it out of people's closets. Right. Um, so, but it, it probably means that if, if the number gets high enough, it should suck copies back into the market. But we have to wait a few months, a few more months or even up to a year and get a better kind of top-down view on this in hindsight. Well, in the meantime, I would definitely be selling my Field of the Dead oh, because yeah. I have not, it's not like this is all over the place. People are just hoping this is good enough. This, this next one's interesting because maybe they ban this at some point. Um, this won the first Pioneer Challenge. Yeah, and uh, it's showing up in the in the league today too, as we'll see later. Yeah, so Nexus of Fate is a buy a box promo, only available from that one source. <clears throat> they were relatively, they were doing very well. Then they kind of fell off. Then they were pretty plentiful, but now starting to drain out of the market again, and they doubled basically from thirteen to twenty six. I've got a whole bunch of those that I picked up in the summertime, so that sounds pretty good to me. And I will be absolutely looking to unload those without waiting around to see if it's too good for the format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this set could definitely get there. Uh, I think it might take some time for people to figure out what the build is. I also think that it's possible the tools just aren't there yet, but that they will come. 
Um, you know, it might need another cheap fog effect. It might need something specific. You know, it's kind of a weird build. So it's hard to say exactly what will get it there. But uh, overall, I do think this is a type of card that is going to present a possible problem the entire time it's legal in Pioneer. Maybe it never gets there. Maybe it gets there next year. We don't know. Maybe it's there now and they just haven't found the deck yet. But this is definitely always going to be on the horizon. And yeah. now it's doubled, so it's too late. But if this were to sneak back down towards 10 you know, $10 to $12, um, I would definitely take these, you know, if I was placing an order and they had a cheap copy floating around, you know, sock them away. It's not going to be your highest ROI, but it's the type of card you can see kind of. Well, it's, it's, there already, it's already in second place for biggest roller coaster of the last 12 months after Mox Amber, probably. Um, uh, most number of like peaks and troughs. Yeah. The 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 thing about this, this was core 2019's buy box promo, right? Yes, not 20. Yeah. Right. So it's already going to be in shorter supply than other like uh, standard set buy boxes because it's a summer set. Um, and I've got some like Russian stocked away and stuff. So just just give us like four to six weeks breathing room wizards <laughs> don't ban five more cards next monday or it's going to be a it's going to be a little more pinchy then uh ramen up ruins the uh oh what is what is hot i don't remember hot uh hour of devastation hour of devastation a dollar and fifty to three dollars so a little bit of a double up there for ramen up ruins so last week i called that uh, two weeks ago, episode 191, first pick of the week was 50 cents to a dollar on Ramen Up Ruins. Sets the clock in Pioneer. What is the Card Kingdom buy list on that today? Let me double check. Let's see. CK is offering 80 cents and a dollar oh four in credit. So in two weeks flat, we have turned that one around. Nice. Good job. You did it. Uh, we had actually, somebody was pointing out on Twitter that you had called the uh, Grey Merchant of Asphodel foils, and there's barely a copy to be had on the internet now under 30 bucks, so you killed that one too. Yeah, well, you know, that was, that was, it had nothing to do with Pioneer. It was before Pioneer existed, uh, but I'll take, I'll take the credit, I guess. I got lucky, essentially. That was, that was October 15th, so what, a week before the announcement? Yeah, it was close. It was definitely close. Um, Soul Flayer non foils a dollar to two fifty or so. Um, people are playing that with Zalfala, right? Is that the name of the dragon, Zitalpa? the dinosaur? Zatelpa. Zapala. I don't think there's a T in there, is it? Zatelpa. We can't. We can't look. We're not legally allowed to check the name <laughs> of that card. Uh, maybe it is Z E T. Zatalpa. The, the Primal Dawn. Yeah, it is Zatalpa Primal Dawn. Um, Flying, Double Strike, Vigilance, Trample, Indestructible, and Soul Flayer gets all of those. So you essentially pay two mana for a 4-4 four, four, Flying, Double Strike, Vigilance, Trample, Indestructible. Um, and that Indestructible, like we said, is pretty relevant these days because there's no Path to Exile. So getting rid of a soul f- an Indestructible creature is eh, actually quite a bit of work. Um, so, I, you know, even still, I'm probably, you know, I'd be biolisting them. A dollar two fifty. It's hard to do too much with. I guess you can hold on to them and hope you get lucky, but it seems kind of unlikely. I don't see this as being the um, 
Dash Shadow of Pioneer, but like maybe it, it is. It's it's so easy for this to go either way. Like it could slide right off the table, or it could become the Death Shadow of the format. I don't yeah. want to wait around and find out. I've got dollar foils from three years ago. Sell, sell, sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably there too. Sylvan Carrier did out of Theros foils five to thirteen. Um, I. I don't think I love Karyatid and Pioneer. I'm prob so I'm I'm pretty likely I, I want to sell here. I mean, really, you should be selling all of these regardless. But I I kind of would be surprised if Karyatid gets there. Um, that that hexproof would have to be really relevant for this to be worth it. But I just I just don't like two mounted dorks for the most part. I've never been like, a fan. Well, like out of this list, things like Thing in the Ice, if there's flip cards, Abrupt Decay. Nexus of Fate, even uh, Sylvan Carry Added, Wild Slash, all of those things could show up in the Mystery Boosters. And mm-hmm. we get, by the time most people have heard this, the Mystery Booster information will already be out. Um, but yet another good reason to check in uh, on becoming a pro trader if you aren't one already, because we're going to have people on the floor gathering the, the set information. If you're not aware, the Mystery Boosters are being unveiled via some sealed events Thursday mid morning at GP Richmond, which is also the Pro Tour. And the whole thing here is that the mystery booster set list is not going to be public knowledge. So Wizards is not going to publish the set list. So that means everybody's going to be in a race to try to figure out what's in this set. And I would guess it's probably going to take less than 48 hours to figure out. It's <laughs> kind of silly. But, uh, you know, we're going to try to be right out on the tip of the spear there uh, with people on the floor reporting in. And certainly going to be worth tracking because a lot of specs could be in jeopardy. They've clear, clearly said that this is not a pioneer focused set. So our next best guess is that it is a kind of grab bag of cubed style cards from Magic's history. And we're also expecting to see some premium cards in there would be my guess. Um, mm-hmm. j- just enough to put the sizzle on the stake as it were. Yeah. And, you know, every card in that set will be opened in the first 15 minutes of the main event that involves those boosters, right? Like there's no way it's a 4,000 card set or whatever. Um, so we'll know, so the information will be out there. It'll just take some time to aggregate it. Uh, following, following, finishing the week, wild slash out of paper, forge, non foils, 50 cents to two fifty. Um, so if you actually had been buying these at 50 cents and you can get two fifty for them, that's a pretty nice pickup. Sell, you know, stick a place set in a plain white envelope for 10 bucks got to be happy there uh i would be dumping these real quick um you know wild slash could become one of the key uncommons of the format but it you know it'll probably get a reprint at some point and you know what are you holding out for like 350 maybe or or get out sean like this format's gonna get some hot new removal this year yeah 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 yeah, for sure this is only a uh oh shoot what's an it's it's a, a worse burst lightning like it's it, it's one mana for two damage at instant speed and it's got a ferocious trigger, but the ferocious is just that damage can't be prevented. So you don't get more damage out of it. So yeah, yeah I think the issue is that it'll probably just, we're, we're going to get something that's not lightning bolt, but is closer to lightning bolt than wild slashes. Closer to shock. Shock's the card I was thinking of. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. slightly it's better, better shock. shock, but I don't shock. see shock being the, the standard for the format for too long. But I mean, this whole thing with Pioneer, this is another example of how Magic players that buy boxes almost always get paid off in the end if you keep take care of your cards. Because I'm selling, like, I bought Russian boxes of Fate Reforged around $90 or something, right? So I'm pulling Russian Monastery Mentors out of there, Ugin's, Wild sl- play sets of Wild, Russian 
Wild Slashes non-foil that I sold for 10 bucks this week. Treasure Cruise playsets, Japanese or Korean for 10 bucks a piece. People are happy to pay that to have a little sexier uh, version of a card that is easy to memorize. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 your sweet spot on foreign is like uber staples where everybody knows what the card does. Yep. All right, but let's move on here to segment two, cards to watch. We didn't we didn't outline our segments, so I'm sure this is a surprise to our listeners. Um, but James, what's uh, what's your first card this week? Well, with all the hype on Pioneer, it looks like there's still some opportunities that are worth taking a harder look at. Um, specifically, I've been looking for looking at cards that I think are um, really good, but not bannable in pioneer that get better the more they ban other stuff and that i don't think have a high chance percentage chance of showing up in the mystery boosters now if we assume the mystery boosters are some kind of uh cube draft type thing i think you can safely assume that really awkward cards and cards that are too good in limited are probably not going to show up there i would argue that smuggler's copter is the kind of card you don't want in your draft now if it's a really high powered cube draft i suppose it's possible um so it's not zero risk but if it's more of a moderately powerful draft format, then I could see not wanting the Smuggler's Copter to be included. Foils are still sitting around at like 9 to $10, and that just seems crazy to me for a colorless four of that can show up in any number of different decks. Everything from Insul Artifact decks to um, token decks in the future, if one makes an appearance, uh, Mono Red can run it, Mono Black can run it. They're the the mono, the blue aggro deck can run it so many different opportunities for a three three flyer that can loot to do some work on two mana. I when I when I glanced down and saw this on the list, I thought it was I was like, oh, smuggler's copter is up to ten dollars, but this is foils are ten dollars, uh, but non foils are at like seven bucks right now. So the gap has gotten very tight and Smuggler's Compter is definitely quite pretty present in the format, especially in the decks that didn't just get hit by bands. Um, so I, you know, given the fact that the, the gap between the foils and the non-foils is so tight and we also know that it's seen solid play, I, I definitely like this pickup here. I also... And, yeah, packs you know mystery packs are not like just wait three days and if it's not in the list then you know go go hog wild because you're not going to see it again anytime soon and it seems like a solid a solid pick up there well i mean once we know what's in mystery boosters our discord's going to go crazy on the on the cards that are good in pioneer and didn't show up there yeah yeah probably um yeah so i'm I'm on board foil smellers got for 10 bucks sounds good i was actually just checking the two stores where i had store credit to see if i could grab any um, I'm going to start off the week with, uh, again, another card that kind of improves based on the ban list is a winding constrictor. So foils of winding constrictor out of Kaladesh are around $2 right now. Uh, the, the big, the big usage here is the counters decks out of, you know, in the hardened scales vein so whether they're hardened scales specifically or something else you know or they don't bother with scales i've seen some lists that didn't even bother with it uh wine constrictor just puts a bunch more counters on your creatures and those decks are definitely hanging around in pioneer we're seeing them repeatedly none of them seem to be crushing quite yet but uh they definitely do pretty well also pretty good against oko because oko turns them into a three three but they still have their one one counters on them um 
So I wouldn't say they're OCO proof, but they're definitely more resilient to OCO than some of the other strategies out there. They also just got a Stone Coil Serpent, which is a pretty good get for that deck, I believe. Um, so, you know, Winding Constructor is looking pretty decent in the format as it is. Foils are only two bucks. We know the deck had had serious chops in standard and also did pretty well in, did okay in modern even. Um, and it's also in 5,200 EDH decks. Like that's not a tremendous amount, but 5,200 is definitely reasonable. So there's demand there as well. Right, because uh, it's, only... it's an auto-include and the Atraxa counters builds that are it... less focused on Planeswalkers and more focused on creature plus one plus one shenanigans. Yeah, and we know 1-1 one, one counters are very popular in EDH, so it's not terribly surprising the deck is popular. And then on top of that, you know, they're de- we're down to like 18 vendors on TCG Player, and I think there's a sell wall in there somewhere, but, um, you know, 20 to 40 copies by one vendor, something like that. But other than that, I, I I think the deck is, or the card is pretty well positioned here. I've got some of these from when they first came out. Uh, I've got some Russian foils, and I did not realize that you could get foils at two. When I saw this on your list, I assumed you meant the non-foils, but those are like 20 cents or something. Mm-hmm. So I, I think foils and non-foils are buys here. It's a four of in the deck, and the deck's only going to get better in this format. And it's one of the decks that looks strong, but doesn't seem to have anything that would get it banned. Yeah, it's like hard to figure out what you would shoot with that. Um, and also, like if people really wanted that deck to to go down, you'd think they'd be able to put together an answer. So you would expect it to not get banned at all. Yeah. So my next pick is in Soul Artifact. Uh, pros have been writing uh, content talking about this this list and and streaming it on Twitch for a couple weeks now. <clears throat> it looked worse before um, you know the two really powerful decks got banned, Sahili Cat and Mono Green Devotion. Um, but now all of these kind of tier two stuff gets a, a shot at tier one point five, if not tier one. I was fooling around with a Saltai version of this the other day that was built around in Soul Artifact on Darksteel Citadel and Ornithopter and running the uh, the blue black Tezrit's Touch or whatever it's called that turns things into a five five, and if they die, you get to bring them back to your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and running Oko in that deck as well, and then I realized realize that the blue-red version is probably just strictly superior because you get to run four Shrapnel Blast and four uh, soul Artifact. And there's a creature I didn't realize existed. It's a 1-3 for two and a blue. I forget the name of it. That turns an artifact into a 5-5 five, five for as long as it stays in play. So it's Wild Slash proof and gives you another way of coming at the whole making 5-5s five, angle. Um, deck's pretty streamlined. You get to run stuff like Ginger Brute and uh, Bowmat Courier in your one slot that can potentially fill your hand or provide some evasion and eventually turn them into 5-5s. And as you said, um, if Oko turns them into a base 3-3, that's not the end of the world if you're running one of the builds that also has counter interactions. Mm, Yeah. Uh, I like this in Soul Artifact. One of the other decks that was popping up had a really good run at the end of Standard um, right before Rotation, uh, back when that was legal. Um, foils at four bucks is, is pretty tempting for, a, what is this, a single printing, right? Single I don't printing think there's any uncommon. Other Summer yeah. Set. Yeah, Summer Set is also really tempting ago. here. Mm-hmm. God, guys, it's been that long. Yep. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board. I think, uh, I think a lot of these uncommons from a couple sets ago are in general pretty tasty looking right now with pioneer people haven't really had a reason to buy them because they haven't quite cut it in modern and now all of a sudden they're looking like they might get there might become kind of tier two or tier one staples in pioneer um 
And a lot of people just didn't bother to own them because they haven't needed them for modern. So you have a whole slew of people who are suddenly going to be looking to pick these kind of cards up. Yep. What's your next pick? Um, my second pick for this week uh, on tune with the Uncommon deal is uh, Charter Course Foils out of Ixalan are about $1.75 or so. Um, these are showing up in the Arclight build. It's a two mana draw to, and then if you haven't attacked, you have to discard a card. So, you know, if you, ha you can kind of get this to work both ways. So if you, you can intentionally cast it before your attack phase so that you get to discard a card, which means that it pays you for like treasure cruise or dig through time, you know, it can kind of go out of the way to set those up at the same time. Um, it also just becomes a two mana draw to if you did attack already. So it kind of gives you some options for how you want to use it. Uh, supply is down to about 35 vendors. I think Channel Fireball has a pretty good sell wall on this one like they do sometimes. But, you know, it's the type of thing where if someone's going to buy one, they're going to buy four. So I don't think that that is too much of a dis dissuading factor. Um, and other than Channel Fireball, most people have like one or two of uh, so it's good with Arclight. It, it's good with any deck running Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time are probably going to be interested in it. And even though it's just Arclight for the time being, I can see this becoming a part of other strategies in the future. And really anything that wants to put cards in the graveyard might be looking to use Charter Course. And there's not too much of that at the moment, uh, but I do see that coming. You know, the longer we're in Pioneer, the closer we're going to get to having relevant graveyard strategies. And uh, at the moment, this is looking like it might be a pretty good blue enabler for that type of thing. So yeah. you can get them at $1.75 or so, and I can see selling playsets at, you know, five bucks a card, six bucks a card or something in the not too far future. Fair enough. I can get with that. My last pick this week is Fires of Invention. Uh, I, had to, I had to look back because I could have sworn we picked this. This is the Eldrain uh, collector booster version, so the extended art. Um, they're down to six bucks. Um, I probably would have been happy to pick them up at ten. At six, I'm certainly going to pick up like a hundred dollars worth of these. This Wait. is a this is a card that could get there in Pioneer, probably could get there in Modern. It's playable in EDH. It's just a matter of time, where, when, how that might happen. Who knows? People have had put forth a bunch of different ideas. Nothing's really stuck yet, but the card is powerful. So. At, at that price, given what we know about the relative rarity of the extended arts, totally happy to jump in on some speculatively with like a two-year hold. Six bucks for extended arts, huh? Yep. That's 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 cool. Because the extended art non-foils are the type of thing that anyone who's playing it competitively is going to want. Yep. That's pretty cool. I like at I like that. What is it? And how good is the extended art on this? Solid. Uh... Yeah, that does look pretty good. The art really pushes out to the edges there. I, I got my hands on, like, some of my foil extended arts came in today, and I was taking a look at them under light. <laughs> They're nice cards. Like, they, they have some sketchy corner cutting issues across the board. Um, almost like a weird dent in the top left corner of some of them. But art-wise, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a couple EAs here, and they all look quite good. And, and one of the things that I, that I think is interesting about the particular crop of rares that ended up in the Extended Arts for Eldraine is that many of them are straight up four ofs, which is often one of the questions, right? Like already we were facing a premium product that was where every rare was get that wasn't either store uh, um, sh showcase or, uh, well, in the case of rares, that wasn't showcase. So the five of those was getting an Extended Art, which means you're supposed to get a whole bunch of trash rares. 
but you didn't really. Like, there are some, but a lot of these things are four ofs. Fires of Invention, Stone Coil Serpent, Emery. A lot of the castles can be run two, three, or four of, depending in, on the various builds. Like, the Mono Black Devotion build in Pioneer runs four of Castle Lockthwain. So, mm-hmm. many, many opportunities um, in these extended arts for people to be snapping up, you know, $80 play sets a year down the road. Yeah, the extended arts seem like these might be the gift that keeps on giving uh, that, you know, a couple years down the road are going to have been real tasty, real tasty treats to have picked up at, at six bucks. And we don't possible we don't even know what the right ones are yet. We're like, you know, we can say that, oh, yeah, Fires of Invention looks good. I like the deck. Seems like it's well positioned, you know, cool card. And be like, yeah, that's totally true. But maybe like some other card is actually more important. And it's just the the ingredients aren't there yet. And then it's going to turn out that, you know, what is it? Dance, not dance of the many, but dance of the mans or dance some, the mans, yeah. something like that is going to end up having been like really important. And uh, those EAs are going to take off. Well, this is like Doom Foretold. That's significantly better in Commander than I think most people realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. In the foils there, especially. So let's get back on our horse here about picking our, our best pick of the week. Which one do you think is your favorite out of this these five? Ooh, uh, I think I'm going to go number... Hmm. Hmm. This one's tight. Smuggler, foil Smuggler's Coppers at 10 are very tempting. I also like the Extended Art Fires at 6. And I like the wine, foil wine constrictors at two, but out of the three of them, probably the smugglers copters, but it's very tight. I think I agree, and I have the same analysis. The smugglers copter seems to me like the oldest single printing foil rare with the lowest inventory that's going to be the hardest to replenish. Does have the mystery booster risk, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, the three in the middle are all uncommons, so there's just more of those out there, but they're all in pretty good tipping point position. And then the Fires of Invention is just a speculative pick, whereas Smugglers is seeing real play. Right, yeah, it's not even that, like, the $6 for Fires is bad, it's just the other stuff is a little more concrete at the moment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So moving on to metagame week in review, I guess we can take a quick look at that final Pioneer Challenge before the bannings came down. It that. was it was Mono Green that won it. So yeah. you know, I gotta say that's pretty rough looking through that list. Like for all of my complaining that Nykthos doesn't look like it was overpowered yet, and I still believe that's true. This challenge did not tell that story. This challenge told the story of Nykthos is a real problem. I don't know if it's a real problem. It was three of the top eight, right? Well, if you scroll through here, there are eleven out of 32 places are Nykthos. That's that's so, that's like, that's high. It's but 40%. there have been formats that have been deemed to be fine with a deck in that position. At 40%? Well, no, not 40. <laughs> it was 40%? Well, what's 11 on the 32? 34%. 34 is definitely high, especially yeah, for a format like this. Yeah, this is you're, standard. you're definitely pushing into problematic territory. Yeah. The argument here is definitely not that the green deck what didn't look busted. <laughs> it's more that maybe there's an answer to it in the format. And yeah. maybe you could give it more time to figure that out. Second place, we had this, the other deck that got banned out of existence. The Sahili Rai uh, deck lost both Felidar Guardian and Oath of Nyssa. It's uh, probably dead in the water now. Um, 
Mono Black was in third, so it stands probably has some of the most to gain here. Uh, some of the key cards there would be Champion of Dusk foils are probably worth a look. Soren Imperious Bloodlord uh, could easily have made our list this week, and maybe it'll be on mine next week, uh, depending on what the market does in the meantime. Um, I've been selling Kalidas's left and right this week, which is, I assume, for people playing this deck. Knight of the Ebon Legion uh, is probably a foil worth keeping an eye on, and this also runs uh, Walking Ballistas. Thought Seizes I've been selling constantly all week, and those Castle Lockthwain Extended Arts I'm willing to bet are still 10 bucks or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, um, you know, other than the Nykthos, we saw uh, six of these lists playing Time Raveler, which I still like quite a bit as a card. Um, that's good. Burn showed up a good bit, which I don't really want to be buying into at all. Uh, we did get one of the Ilhar decks, uh, so I like, I like Ilharg. I want to see more Ilharg before I'm willing to buy any. Like I need to know that that's really going to get there. But I mean, once upon a time is a big get for that deck, I think. Uh, and if this does take off, I'm pretty sure the buy is Dragonlord Atarka. Pretty sure. Atarka, Dragonlord Atarka could, could be mystery be. boosters, but by next week we'll know for sure. Yeah, it could be Ilharg as well. It kind of, like, I would have to go back and look at supply and prices to, like, choose which of the cards in here I want. Because it also could be World's Fine Worm, honestly, but I think that's already too expensive. In in a big cube, given the focus of the sets likely involved, I could easily see the the Tarkir cycle of uh, um, Dragon Lords included. Ojatai, yeah. Silumgar, Atarka, etc. They're all yeah. crowd pleasers, and they've been underprint for five years. Yeah, possibly they get there. All right, so what about in the league? Is there anything more exciting going on over there that we haven't seen before? Um, there wasn't anything that was brand new. I did see a Winding Constrictor deck, uh, which is what got me thinking about it. But I, I guess there's all sorts of odds and ends, but nothing that that like really snagged me. And I went, oh, wow, all right, you know. The, the Spirits deck runs four Empyrean Eagle. <laughs> yeah one one yeah. white blue two three flying other creatures you control with flying get plus one plus one that's the kind of card that's going to get edged out of this format as we get a little deeper yeah yeah for sure um green red energy decks somebody somebody's five owing with just like something straight out of standard with bristling hydra electro, electrostatic pummeler long tusk cub and voltaic brawler yep yeah, I remember I mentioned that stuff. before there's hexproof is in this format too by the way they got um they have all the glitters which is essentially the replacement for the Ravnica one mana white enchantment, whose name I don't recall. Um, they get the cartouches. Oh, ethereal armor. Ethereal armor is what I'm looking for. Yeah, so they have ethereal armor and all the glitters. Both of those are legal, um, which stacks up quite a bit. They don't get the the circlet or whatever it is, whose name I can't escapes me at the moment but they do get a lot of tools they get on flinching courage as well um and now they have they have once upon a time which is definitely you know not a bad card to be using in uh in a hexproof deck i played hexproof quite a bit back in modern um and it was always very potent and there's a lot less tools to deal with this than there were in modern i gotta say so this deck might end up being pretty real here's a black green deck that leans on four collected company, but no rally the ancestors. 
Blister Pods, Catacomb Sifters, Dustwatch Recruiter, Elvish Mystic and Visionary, two Liliana Heretical Healer, two Lanamore Elves, four Nantuko Husk, one Plague Crafter, and four Zulaport Cutthroat. Very odd to me that a deck like that doesn't want rallies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know what card has been showing up a lot more than I would have expected to? Rankle. Okay. Yeah. Rankle Master of Pranks is in four decks here which is not a not a tremendous amount right but like if i had asked you to guess how many decks you would expect to have wrinkle in them you probably wouldn't have said four no there's a there's a big green deck now that might make more appearances that i've seen five oh a couple times and this is the one that's using four once upon a time four hour of promise and four nieces pilgrimage to ramp pretty hard up into four ugin the spirit dragon ugin does a lot of work in this format <laughs> Pretty much everything but the Hardened Scales deck takes a beating when he clears off the colored permanents. Yeah. Um, Ugin is legit. And this is also running Golos and Field of the Deads. So it's got the other angle. Yeah. Golos is uh, is interesting. You know, when you think about Solemn Simulacrum, it's like that's four mana and it only gets a basic. Whereas Golos is five mana. The body is much more relevant and it gets you any land so i i guess golos solemn was has never been good enough really in competitive magic at least not for a very long time but golos is certainly making the point that he, he might be good enough even if you're not doing field of the dead shenanigans and i, I also think ugin is is real legit here um well and this this deck also gets, is running 28 land first of all but it gets to run four gas castle garenbrig so mm. other than the white castle every other color Looking like very legit magic cards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the White Castle. <laughs> so For, although the I'm green sorry. decks I know the, you're the green Jack, decks, I know you're green Canadian. Decks, White Castle is a popular no, restaurant. I, no, I totally get it. <laughs> we still saw the movie. Okay. <laughs> the um the green decks may eventually get punished over Veil of Summer, is one of my worries. Mm. Um a lot of grumbling amongst pros that Veil of Summer is too pushed as a sideboard card. Um, and that in certain metas might even be main deckable. Uh, yeah, I, you know, um, they have tried this card over and over and over again, and it has never been enough to keep the pro. You know, never been enough, right? To like to be good enough. Uh, and there have been a lot of attempts to make this card. So if they finally made one that's good enough, like okay, I mean. I, I'm not that worried about it. Also, the pros all like to play, you know, blue decks, and this hose is blue decks, so. So, too, ch- too check bad. this out, though. I would have argued that one of the splash effects of Oath of Nissa getting banned is that uh, Super Friends decks were off the table, but apparently not. <laughs> Here's a deck well, running 15 Planeswalkers, Elspeth Sun's Champion, two Jace Architect of Thought, two Narset Parter of Veils, two Nicol Bolas Dragon God, one Nicol Bolas God Pharaoh. Two Oko, two Teferi Hero of Dominaria, and three Teferi Time Raveler. Three Fey of Wishes. So it's got the Fey of Wishes and four Fires of Invention package. So there's fires showing up. Two Oath of Teferi. This is the oath that nobody ever plays because it's five mana. Um, when it comes into play, you get to um, basically flicker one of your Planeswalkers. So you can use one of its their down tick abilities and then put them back into play. Um and that might end up relevant because the Elspeth that was leaked um, revealed that Planeswalkers and Theros Beyond Death look like they have down-taking abilities. 
only. So if they all tick down, then getting to flicker them is extra good. Um, and then you may activate the loyalty abilities of Planeswalkers you control twice each turn rather than only once. So you could do use their biggest down tick, flicker them, and then do it again. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Uh, also, Oath of Nissa is still legal in this challenge or in this league. But they weren't running it. Right, 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 right. So you said something about Oath of... I just wanted to okay, be clear that, like, yeah, this this deck chose not to run Oath of Nyssa despite having 15 Planeswalkers, which is, I guess, odd, but I, guess, I suppose they didn't need the mana. And they, were, um, and they were running Deafening Clarion and Supreme Verdict as their sweepers. No mm-hmm. creatures other than Fae of Wishes. And then they were running... Instead of Treasure Cruise or Dig Through Time, they chose to run Drawn from Dreams... Presumably because they're running four fires of invention, and drawn from dreams doesn't have the super high delve casting cost, so they can cast it for free as a slightly worse dig through time uh, under a fires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're not actually paying the mana for your spells, it changes how you select them. And what might not have been good for a four mana for four mana because you know you have to pay for it is suddenly a lot better when it's free compared to the like day through time which you would cheat yeah, yeah i totally agree well the, the uh, other cute the other cute thing here is that one of the reasons you wouldn't run drawn over dig through time is dig through time is an instant that you get to cast at the end of your opponent's turn but this deck is running three to fairy time rattler so you can tick up and your source and cast the sorcery as an instant so you're basically yeah. getting a dig through time yeah 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 so that's this is a this is a cute deck i think I think Ugin is is very well positioned here. I think is kind of something that I'm I'm seeing here. Um, really just destroys everything. One of the other things that's interesting in this deck is that um, running a bunch of multicolored planeswalkers lets them get away with running improving the mana base, which is always a problem in this format so far um, mm-hmm. because of the awkward land cycles that are only partially available. So they get to run four interplanar beacon at a war of the spark, which gives them a life every time they cast the planeswalker and lets them fix for two different colors of planeswalker mana yeah 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 these types of lands that produce multiple colors for certain car types i think are going to show up pretty regularly in pioneer for a little while at least until we find some some other lands to start filling in because again any time that you can get this mana fixing essentially for free that you couldn't get otherwise it's going to matter a lot uh, for some of these strategies yeah, I was pulling together Grixis Dragons. That's like an, a tier three deck in Pioneer. It's like one of my old uh, frontier decks. And Haven of the Spirit Dragon is just like the glue for that deck because mm-hmm. you, can, you can run Nickel Bull, the Ravager, and um, Thunderbreak Regent and Ojatai if you want to. And it just fixes for everything. And then if they kill your dragon, you get to bring it back. Yeah, really, the only problem with that deck is you can't get any good two or three drops. Mm, yeah. So, you know, I, I, this this form, this league is still tweaked, of course, um, because of... To, to demonstrate diversity that may not be there. Yeah, and also, like, we're not seeing the other strategies of, you know, yet because this list is still pre-ban implementation. Um, but I'm excited to see where it goes. And, you know, after this weekend... And we have the mystery boosters, and then we start to see the results online of what um what's doing well in after the bands that's gonna be time to it's gonna be time to make some more moves i should say that you know be back to the drawing board okay let's let's make let's do another round of buys here 
All right, so here here is Field of the Dead coming to the forefront again. This is a 29-land deck running 3-Hour of Promise, 4 Magmatic Insight. That's the one where for 1 red as a sorcery, you discard a land and draw 2 cards. 4 Pieces of the Puzzle. That's the one out of Shadows over Innistrad that lets you reveal the top 5 cards of your library and put up to 2 instant or sorcery cards from among them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. Two Radiant Flames, two Scape Shift, four Splendid Reclamation, that's return all lands from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, and then two Strategic Planning. So this is basically get the ramp stuff to set up your combo, and in doing so, all the cards that are letting you do that are discarding lands to your graveyard, and at some point you just bring them all back and then destroy people with Field of the Dead, and it's running one Hammer of Perforos, which feels like a meme card, Creatures you control have haste, so the zombies get to attack right away. Mm, I like that. I like that. Hammer of Perforos. Giving all your creatures haste is very potent. Tends to be underrated. I feel like that's one of the most underrated keywords. Like, consistently very, very good. Or, how, how about this deck? Four Narset Parter Avails. Four Notion Thief. Four, oh, yeah. Four Dark Deal. This is a card I've gotten foiled oh. of the yin-yang, because I was... <laughs> very mistakenly convinced it was good <laughs> each player discards all the cards in his or her hand then draws that many cards minus one i saw windfall when i looked at this which was not what i should have saw seen what's funny is this is not the only notion thief deck i've seen just earlier today someone i think saffron might have posted a, a notion thief list that he saw which is interesting in fact i had to go back and look the only way in the deck to win I'm pretty sure was decking them, which I'm not even clear how you would accomplish that because there was so much card draw, uh, and attacking with Notion Thief. Like you, ba- I think the strategy was that you had to draw all of your removal to kill all of their creatures, and then attack with Notion Thief. Oh uh, no, maybe they had like a creature land or something. It wasn't much, but I don't know. Maybe maybe this is the format where Notion Thief finally gets to come out and play. Seems a little the, unlikely, but the, 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 the it's weird possible. thing though about this deck that I'm not following is it does nothing without a Notion Thief on the board, and the yeah. only thing it has to dig deeper is Narset and four Opt, and I guess two Castle Vantress. Oh no, and three Gaia Reach Sanitarium. Okay, but still. You're, they're leaning pretty hard in the early game on four cast down, four doom blade, and a languish and three ritual of suit. Yeah, so they've got—I mean—they've got a good chunk of answers there, I guess. However, it's probably all worth it just to get off a day's undoing. And, <laughs> yes. And time twister where your opponent loses their hand and doesn't draw any cards. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. I I, I do wonder if this is one of those decks where it. You know, the guy just got really lucky to 5-0, and it turns out it's just absolute garbage for the most part. But, I mean, all all of this begs the, begs the question. If people were happy to just run around having fun <laughs> like this, do you need to be banning anything? Like, okay, so the Mono Green deck's going to win all the tournaments, but it looks like people don't care about that right now. People are not min-maxing. People are experimenting. Let them experiment for a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. Yes, maybe those decks were too good, uh, but did we know that for sure already? Like, if people are playing stuff like this, no one is really trying to beat Mono Green yet. Like, give people wait until people actually make the point of doing that. Uh, but so, you I mean, already heard me yell about this. Here's a Jun deck. 
two Chandra Torture Defiance, four Glorybringer, two Questing Beast, three Scavenging Ooze, four Siege Rhino as a little splash, four Sylvan Karyatid to let that happen, one Dreadbore, three Thought Seize, Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, Crackling Doom, Fatal Push, Coligan's Command, and Once Upon a Time. That is straight up Jund. And give it two mm-hmm. or three more years and it will look even more so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't have, uh, what's his name anymore? Bob. But I don't nope. think they care. Well, they don't even run Bob and Modern, but they don't have Liliana and they don't have uh, Lightning Bolt. Well, they don't have Liliana, but they have the other Liliana, which is seemingly fine enough. The Last Hope. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that see that getting there. That one, one, of the, one of the cool decks that got knocked out, splashed out damage off the, the Felidar Guardian thing was people were messing around with Demonic Pact. There was, mm-hmm. you were talking about how that was a package that was going to slip into a bunch of different decks. Well, that was one of the coolest ones that I saw. And I would happily have run that in an FNM. It was mm-hmm. basically the Sahili package. And then you get a demonic pact on the table, run through the modes, get all the benefits, and then Felidar Guardian, it flicker it in and out of play. Yeah, I actually saw, God, I saw something that their strategy was giving it to their opponent. Yeah, so you can you can still donate. And I don't it. remember what it was. Well, harmless offering is the donate, but they were only running like one copy because they didn't they didn't need to waste like gum up their deck with four copies of that. They could do the other, just basically keep abusing the card, and then if they happened upon the harmless offering, they could put put it away right away. Yeah, I swear it was something that had a slightly different plan than that with the ultimate goal of going to their opponent, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, Felidar Guardian. I don't know. Is is I ultimately I do think Felidar Guardian is a more busted magic card. Like it's just that it's going to get broken by something else again, and Sahili seems less likely to do that. So I I I don't feel strongly at the moment about picking one over the other. Hmm. Last last list of the week from this. Um, I bring this one up because I was actually assuming. This existed as I was pulling cards from Seasons Past of Standard. I came across most of these cards and I was like, yeah. That, People have tried playing that too. This is probably a list. And the, the list I'm talking about is, uh, let's see here. There we go. Uh, it's a feather list that is oh, basically yeah. running Favored Hoplite, Feather the Redeemed, Monastery Swift Spear, and 10th District Legionnaire. And then Boros Charms, Built to Smash, Defiant Strike, God's Willing, Reckless Rage, Sheltering Light, and Titan Strength. So you've got all these like scry and cantrip effects. Um, and of course, Feather lets you, whenever you cast an instant sorcery that targets a creature you control, you basically get to cast it again, uh, put it back in your hand at the beginning of the next end step. So you just, as if you go off and they don't interrupt it, you just start compounding ridiculous amounts of value and you overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. That is a cool build. I like Feather. I don't know if it's good enough for Pioneer, but I like the card. Well, it's the kind of thing like, you better have fun with it now, because I'm willing to bet in two years these kind of decks won't exist in this format. No, no, it's going to get so much tighter. I mean, really, it should be that much tighter now, but they just haven't quite figured out how yet, but it's going to get there. I did see, by the way, a collected company list in here with, um, has Blister Pod and Catacomb Sifter, which generate the Eldrazi spawn. And then it's playing the flip Liliana. And then yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the one I mentioned earlier. Oh, you did. Say that's that. that's okay, the one I said. Sorry. That's that's the rally deck that wasn't running any rallies. Oh, this is what you're. OK, yeah, yeah. It's when you're reading the cards out loud and I'm not looking at the list. Sometimes it's hard to 
to parse it. But like, look uh, at but, now that you're looking at it. See what I mean? Like, that's all the stuff you ran in Rally, but they're they're running Collective Company instead of Rally. Yeah, I guess that's a mana concession, as he's clearly playing this as green black and doesn't want to splash into white. But it's possible you're supposed to. I mean, like your 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 Natuka husks are three, your Lilianas are three, and your Catacomb Sifters are three. So you've got to be hitting what five mana then to play your rallies right because it's two it's x two and an x uh yeah two but the five mana is not that bad especially if you're playing all this garbage for the first three turns first three or four turns i guess the real problem is you don't have any tools in this deck as is to fill your graveyard and rally seems like kind of mediocre if you're not making the point of filling your graveyard. It's just so you're not going to cast rally until you're late in the game and you f- put a bunch of creatures in there naturally. But then that means you don't want four of them. You're probably playing two, maybe three. But then are you trying to warp your mana to pay for rally if you're only looking to cast one a game? You could just keep the list so much tighter without it. I, th- I, I guess the rally decks are probably just different. It's probably just a different build than this is. All right, I promised we were wrapping this one up, but it's other cool lists I'd love to go through. We'll do it next week. <laughs> the uh, I, I, One of the things I've noticed is people jostling around trying to figure out what the Sultai and Rock versions of midrange are supposed to look like now, and I'm sure we'll have more information on that once we see what the post-banning leagues look like. Yeah, I mean, those depend so much on the format that it's hard to know what they're supposed to be beforehand. All right, so let's move on to section four. We wanted to ta- make our topic of the week this uh, week. We just want to dive, do a little bit of a deeper dive on the massive slate of Commander products that were announced last week that we barely touched on because we had such a busy week. Um, so we want to get around to that now. Um, I mean, first of all, we called this. <laughs> We've been saying for a while that Commander might be the most important, if not neck and neck, for the most important format in all of Magic. Um, with the most explosive growth curve and the most untapped potential to offer up additional products. Because up until this point, the servicing of this tremendous format was basically a set of decks in the fall, and then you would get a smattering of obviously commander-related cards that would be thrown into every other product. And that more or less kept the fires burning, and everybody's been happy along the way, but given the fact that they're now running like massive commander events at Magic Fests, um, you know, doing all these partnerships with the Command Zone and so on and so forth, it became obvious to us, you know, 18 months ago or so, that down the road we were going to see more commander stuff. We talked about Commander Masters at a certain point. When people saw what was in Modern Horizons, they mistakenly labeled that commander masters turns out while there was many good commander cards in there they had way more in store as unveiled last week Mm-hmm. so I, I i i should we should drill down first of all we've been calling it for years but i mean <laughs> like we, we were talking about this years ago but that doesn't mean that we were present we were just like this is the writings on the wall at some point in time yeah. so we i guess we called it like three years early which hardly seems like it's worth well, we didn't say it over. was coming three years ago we said that they're you're not gonna they don't have the like i think it was i don't even think it was three i think it was closer to like a year and a half ago when we were first talking about this on cast and the point we made then was 
you're not going to see it in like the first half of 2019 because or the end of 2018 because the data on how important commander is wasn't in their lap yet it takes time for them to to design product cycles and they're designing like six months or a year together at a time with this like five to seven year roadmap or whatever so we knew it was going to take time to happen but i don't think anybody that's been paying attention including us is at all surprised for them to go well we've already dipped into the pockets of the rich people that play magic this year premium products are doing amazing let's see how much deeper the commander players will go mm-hmm no it's not surprising at all so i guess we should start i want to start by highlighting that we're getting uh what is it five commander decks in theros and then like two more with a and then like two or three more later on but i think ultimately it doesn't matter and the number of new sealed commander decks is i think the least relevant part of this announcement by a considerable margin um, because the number of new cards in those, I believe was reduced. And if it wasn't reduced for the Theros ones by much, it was reduced in the other ones. Let me clean that up a bit. There's nothing commander related for Theros, but on our, for our Ikoria, which comes out April 24th, they're releasing commander 2020, which is going to be the new slot for commander deck. So it's not going to be the fall, the late summer anymore. It's going to be, spring and it's going to be five guys and it still has 71 brand new cards more than ever before okay so then with zendikar in the fall they are doing decks again but only two so um, i don't know why i i I haven't plugged into quite yet why that they would do that like instead of going five then two why not just do four and four or three and three or something um, it's it's just awkward because when they when they're usually from an operational perspective, you would just want to do the same thing over and over again. If you think about how they the packaging they shipped out Mythic editions in throughout last year and kind of the the process by which they were handling them at the distribution level, it was probably identical the whole way through, despite having a <laughs> clusterfuck, uh, constantly shifting methodology for distributing them via e-commerce. Um, on the operation side, I'm sure it was pretty consistent. Um, so that's a little awkward, but that means, you know, we're less than six months away from five new commander decks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is true. Yeah. Six months away. Yeah. And, and yeah, all, okay. All that's correct. I still think the meat of this announcement, 80% of the relevancy of this announcement is the commander's masters. Like that's yeah. the really big the commi- part. The- if they had announced this without that, it'd be like, oh, okay, they're adding a couple more commanders decks and slightly changing the time frame. But none of that impacts how we operate. Commanders Masters is what's important here because not only does that give them a humongous slew of new cards to add, it also gives them their foil venue, which they have been lacking and that we have been getting the profit on and Wizards hasn't. And they finally said, nope, we want our turn. Yeah, And so there's there's a few things there. First, uh, with the commander decks coming out in April, it really changes the math on whether guys like DJ can hold a thousand copies of Soul Ring and expect them to be safe for the same, like for them to recover. Because usually what happens is Soul Ring gets down as low as whatever, a dollar, a dollar twenty, depending on where you're buying them. 
and you buy up a bunch and then the buy list inevitably goes back up to a solid position that like per card is only giving you 30 or 40 cents or whatever but it's a really good return if it happens six months later or 12 months later but if you're getting decks every six months and they all have cards like arcane signet or soul ring or whatever in them or they at least have the risk of that then people are going to be you know much less in need the the demand may be met and some of those like low slung commander specs may be at risk now the other product they announced mm-hmm. is the commander collection which sounds like it's going to be an ftv meets commander's arsenal type product that sounds like it's coming out in the summer and the first one is going to be green cards only so this is where i would start worrying about your you know your crater hoof behemoths and your is natural order a thing in commander i suppose that could be yeah yeah it's 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 legal so yes it would be I, i i'm not this one didn't bother me quite as much because it's going to have the bad foiling process, I think, Probably. right? Uh, yeah, so, and it's only 15 cards. Uh, I mean, it, it won't, I don't see it crashing prices so much as just acting as a a break. They, they did They did say... Yeah, it'll slow them they down. They did say that these are going to be all new art, but it's only mm-hmm. eight reprints. Now, I think they're going to be key reprints. So if you can think of an expensive green card that you're holding a big pile of that you thought was safe for a while... It's probably not, and that would be the color I would least be interested in holding (laughs) running into (laughs) the latter half of this coming year because the biggest product, as you said, is the Commander Legends product, which is basically Commander Masters, it sounds like, that comes out around this time next year. And it was kind of incredible, actually, that they, they gave us that information and details about that set so early. Like more than more yeah. than a year ahead of time, it 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 really uh, telegraphs that they want the commander players to know it's all about you, baby. Like get your get your wallets I, ready. Don't even think about unplugging from this brand. We're gonna keep you busy twenty four seven in twenty twenty. Yeah, I don't actually. I actually I didn't think about it too much, but I don't really understand that decision because they easily could have said, "Hey, we're gonna have a big commander announcement," then made the announcement about the release of the decks and said, there's more coming later this year, more information coming later this year. We're starting with this and then announced commanders masters in like June, right? Or July or something like that. I wonder why they chose now to make that announcement. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, they really went pretty deep with the detail. Like they gave us a lot to work with. Um, they said that mm-hmm. it's 70 brand new legends in that set and a bunch yeah. of commander reprints. So commander cards in need of a reprint are a major risk heading into the next half of the second half of next year. doesn't mean you have to dump everything in a hurry. Stuff that just got printed is not going to show up there. So like stuff in the last two years will be relatively safe. There would be a few exceptions. I would think about something like a smothering tithe. Maybe making an appearance. Yeah, I, I think Smothering Tithe is very likely because Smothering Tithe, they can see, they could see right away how much traction that was getting. And they don't want it to turn into a $45 card that they can't reprint. Well, and here's the other. They want to be able to keep that wraps on that so they can keep selling that because it, their product includes a $15, a $15 reprint. Uh, and the other thing is that 
I suspect the price point on this, which they didn't reveal because they don't talk about MSRP anymore, blah, 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 is going to be premium level. I would guess, given mm-hmm. the way that this is positioned, that this is another $240 to $300 box. It, isn't this the one they said was 20 card packs yes. or is that yes. something else? These are 20 card packs, but I suspect yeah. they're 24 packs. So somebody was telling me like, oh, like they're raw materials. Um, you know, this is their 20 card packs. So they're spending more money on the boxes. So they'll be more expensive. I'm like, no, 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 no. Normally a standard box is 36 packs by 15. That's 540 cards. You got to print 24 packs by 20 is only 480. So they're actually reducing their materials costs here. Mm-hmm. And the materials cost is also irrelevant for all of this stuff because of how cheap it is yeah. compared to what the cards are worth. So these 20... 20- Come on, people. It's worth more than their weight in gold. We know this. And they told us that... They, so much detail. They told us that these 20-card packs have a foil in every pack and two legendary creatures in every single pack. So you're back to that master's model with a foil in every pack. And if if that means that... You know, that's not the same thing as a 50% boost in foils. But I'm going to have to run some math and compare the two and figure out which one is worse. The thing is that in a modern Masters box with the 24 packs, you didn't often get, you only usually got one foil rare, sometimes two. And a foil mythic was relatively hard to come by. So we'll have to see when we get a little closer. But, you know, Commander foils long overdue for a reprint are going to look gonna look pretty sketchy <laughs> heading, heading oh, yeah. into this product now one of the interesting things is they can't have that many reprints because they put 70 <laughs> new legends in this set so it's got a bit of the uh you know modern horizon we, we talked about master sets at one point and i said like the innovation on master sets is that when they come back around on these they're gonna mix new cards and old boom they're doing that here this is modern yeah. horizons was all new Modern Masters was all old. Now we're getting Commander Legends, and this is the mixed product. So I, I expect this to be gangbusters business for us. Like, I, I, I'm i going to divest out of most of the stuff that I think is risky heading into the second half of the year. Like, for instance, I've got Judge Foil Ristic studies that I would have thought were safe, but now they're probably not. Like, I, there's no way Ristic studies not in that set. Because uh, other than uh, the Judge promo, it hasn't had a reprint in ages. Yeah, that's there's a, there's so much stuff here and it's you know, they needed the it's good that they're doing this for magic players. I totally believe that. I also totally believe that this kind of it kind of sucks for us. Uh I you know, on the long-term scale, it's probably better, especially if they don't do it every year. If it's an every other year thing, then it's kind of like Modern Masters was for Modern, where some stuff gets reprinted. You can get a pretty good beat on what's coming, and the reprints give you a window to buy in on stuff again that you haven't been able to buy for years. So, like, that's all true. But it doesn't change the fact that I have a lot of foil EDH specs sitting not that far from me, and, like... Yes, they can't reprint all of them for sure, but it just sucks that now I have to try and 
really I should try and churn through a huge chunk of that inventory between now and next fall because we don't know what's in it. We're not going to know. It's there, you know, with modern, they had such a narrower swath of cards that they would choose from for the most part for reprints because the number of like playable cards was much smaller, I think, relatively in modern than commander, but commander's huge. So it's going to be much harder, I think, to get a beat on what they're going to reprint. But so, it, like, well, yeah, if I have here's the other, here, here's the other thing they said that the set is bigger than normal. So, mate. In terms of the cards included. Like the total size of the set. So it could be 300, yeah. 350, 400 cards. And the bigger that set is, the more reprints are at risk. But, I, but I'm, I'm still yeah. not worried about it because I think we're going to be able to come up with a priority list. of. I'll probably put an article together like in the spring that's the five, like the 10 commander foils you should be selling in advance of that set. And I would be willing to bet that unless you're deep on stuff beyond that, like a smothering tithe or something that might not make that list. The there's not much to worry about. The other thing is there's going to be a lot of price appreciation in the spring, as tends to be the case. So stuff like foil smothering ties could provide an have already provided an excellent exit. And if you're not getting too greedy, you, you can just easily get out right now. I mean, I think like I think CK probably pays something like nineteen fifty on foil smothering ties. I mean, the original in was like five, six, seven, eight, nine dollars, depending on when you got on that train. Well, yeah, and I mean, some stuff, like if you've made a profit, it's, you know, a good profit, then it's easy to say, oh, well, this is your, the time that you're supposed to go. But the tricky part here is like, you know, I have Cathars Crusades uh, that I picked up and have picked, they've been appreciated like 60 or 70% or something. And this, so, but once I sell them, you know, I'm making like maybe two bucks a copy or something like that. So it feels like it's not worth it to sell them. Buy list, I haven't looked at the buy list, but you can assume that that puts me r- roughly in the same boat. And it's like the inventory on TCG is already quite low. So, or, you know, it, it's certainly that what you would consider close to tipping. So you're like, ah, am I supposed to sell these or am I not so, supposed to so, sell so that's these? A fine cre- that, and that's it's a just fine, like, That's ugh. a fine case study though, because that card in particular is, I don't think a high priority reprint. For a couple of reasons. A, it's not just not that important in the format. B, it's had four printings already. It was in Avacyn Restored, Commander 2014, Commander 2016, and Commander Anthology Volume 2. So it's very likely to just stay on the sidelines. Now, if, you're, if your copies are foil, you can get out now at 450 cash, 585 credit. But you're right. If it does catch the reprint, this will be the first foil reprint, and it will crater. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's exactly what it is. And it's like, I, I now, now that we're talking, because I haven't thought about this too much. So this is, a, I'm kind of working through this in my head as we go here. Um, it's a good point that this Cathars Crusade specifically as like a case study has been reprinted several times because I suppose a card like that is much less likely yeah. to show up in this product because it's like, well, we could put it in and give the people another foil, but we don't need to because we've already printed it five times. Really, we should go after the stuff that's been printed once. Those are the cards we should be targeting, um, which isn't Cathars Crusades, it's other stuff. So, I mean, it's good on that, you know, at that. From that angle. Consideration. So, but there's two, yeah. other, there's two other things to consider here. One, you're getting, again, chaos and churn of 
like the more the hype cycle skips a beat and moves on to the next thing, the narrower the window to take advantage of a spike, but the more spikes you get to take advantage of. So like advice we've been giving people with how fast things has been moving and all of these announcements in the Discord is, you know, don't get greedy. That, that has always been the best advice. Like when you see something, like you're holding a bunch of foil smothering ties and you're already at a double up and you've got another target that you think might be a double up, but you don't have the cash, divest of the thing that you know has more or less maxed its, you know, given you the best ROI percentage it's ever going to give. Even if it gets up a few more dollars, <clears throat> that additional ROI isn't going to beat your next best opportunity. So don't be afraid to just keep rolling out of things. Like I've got a pile of, I've got a brick of like a hundred castle lock veins. I got at 75 cents. You can get $2 on buy list for those right now. If I wait a year, will they probably be at three or four? Like maybe, but right now I've got an instant double up on my next buy list. So why hesitate? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right on that. And I don't contest that as we're, we're, you know, if you can pick up good, profits if you've already locked in solid profits then you might as well kind of divest move on you know like jason says leave the next 10 leave 10 percent for the next guy um and do something else but but i'm also arguing which i think is i'm also arguing that even if you don't have good profits if you bought something at four hoping it was going to 10 and it's been meandering you should still be divesting of that whether or not you're worried about these products because you've probably got some other better idea that's going to, if you shift the money over to it, it's going to get you further ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, probably like I do think that, uh, whatchamacallit, Cathars Crusade is, I, I, well, I don't have it in front of me. Is If I went and looked at that for the first time today, I would probably think that still looked good. I'd be like, oh, supply is low, only one foil printing. It's in like 12,000 decks. This is, a, I could definitely see making that a pick today, I think, I think. So, it's like, is this not as good as the other stuff? I don't know. It might look great on paper, and I'm just waiting for it to get there and pay me off. It just looked just as good a couple of years ago. It's it's not the stuff that like you bought and you now have a solid profit that and you should be turning over. Like those are a little easier. It's the stuff that's like kind of like just on that cusp that still looks good. Like blind obedience, right? Perfect example. Blind obedience is like this still looks really good and it looked good three years ago when i bought it and it's like mm, i don't know what to do about this yeah. uh no, no i think I'll, you're I'll, it's funny because i actually think I'll, your castle lockthwains are great because they just printed those and they're not gonna the, reprint the answer them. is <laughs> you ditch all that shit and you take that cash and you buy theros beyond death collector boosters and you flip them inside two weeks for plus 60 to 80 dollars a set and you're gold there's no reason to be dicking around with this this middle tier stuff if it doesn't get there well, I don't disagree with that at all, but I mean, you know, if that's the logic we're going with, then uh, let's rewind the segment two and just erase everything we wrote <laughs> Well, and just say Theros Collector's Boosters at below market there, rates. It, there's an argument to be made that you could distill this podcast down into like 10 picks a year. Yeah. For sure. Which we discussed, which we discussed back with... Uh, God, what was it? Was it the invention? I feel like we've said, we've had this discussion more than during, once this like, year. During, the, like era, during the, the era, during the stuff. era when we were picking up masterpiece soul rings, you could yeah you, yeah masterpieces could have just one. taken out a loan, bought every masterpiece soul ring you could find, ignored everything else, and you would have made an amazing amount of money. 
Yeah, and we even said something to that effect. We were like, here are five picks. They're all worse than buying masterpieces, but we already told you to buy all of those. So, yep. Well, one of the <laughs> we things, have to put something on the cast. Well, and there's also like the, there's also the week to week thing where, um, you know, a lot of good picks slip between the cracks and become big deals in the Discord. Um, but you know, if it's not on our Tuesday to Tuesday schedule, then it may not make it onto the cast. The um, but I digress. Let me go go back to my point about this. Why this. Uh, commander legends is more of an opportunity than it is a threat keep in mind think back to all the modern master sets modern masters modern masters 2015 modern masters 2017 made money every time so many of the cards as they got reprinted crash and one of the more intense articles i remember pulling together was on modern masters 2017 where i put together the basket of prices for all the rares and all the mythics uh when it was first announced when it came out and six months six months later, and it was just incredible ROI. So, I mean, if you got caught holding something like Celestial Colonnades heading into their first reprinting, yeah, it stings a little. But five other things you were holding took off hard if you were buying them at their lows as a result of the set. And it's the same thing with Pioneer, right? Like, yes, got caught holding uh, some of the cards related to the cards that got banned, but that just unlocked a bunch of other cards that took off and started selling that much faster and what we're going to see we're going to make money on selling these boxes sealed because we're going to get be buying three or four hundred at a time of commander legends out of europe where nobody plays commander so the eastern european guys are going to be all too happy to hand those cases over to us Um, we're going to pre-book them three months in advance and pay for them a month in advance to lock them all down and we're going to make tons of money there and then the singles are going to crash People are going to, there's 71 new legends. No one is going to figure, no one's going to have any idea which one's going to be the most important one. And here's the other thing. EDH Rec, our go-to stalwart for um, seeing which card is the most popular from any given set. Um, it looks like perhaps at the behest of our dear friend Jason E. Ald, um, no longer shows that particular stat. So Wait, which, which stat was that? Say that again the what you know ranking cards by popularity now they only now they only show the stat of what percentage of decks that could run them are running them which uh, which is basically comparing cards to all cards in existence but doesn't give you the granular detail on which cards from that set are doing best unless you do some additional math of your own okay i uh, i'm not clear you know how you know like, you, so you know how you used to about, say you, at you know how it used to say that it was in three thousand four hundred and twenty two decks. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, they don't like show on that. the card itself. Yeah, they don't show the number anymore. Like, I just see. I just clicked on the Sir Conrad the Grim. It says he's in eleven hundred eighty six decks. Right, but go to the set view. Set view shows Sir Conrad in one thousand sixty eight decks. Fourteen percent of all possible decks. Or, well, let me rephrase that. It's 14% of 7,400 decks, 7,500. Now, 7,500 is not the sum total of decks he could be in because he's just a black card. So he's definitely in... The potential number of decks he could be in is much, much higher than 7,500. I think they changed this to be the number of decks 
built since these cards were added. This is what I'm telling you. They have been messing with these stats. So I intend. Oh, they definitely changed I, over. I, and over I intend again. to get Jason or one of their owners on shortly to have a discussion about this because though I I am well aware that he had concerns about us referencing those kind of stats, um, I remain convinced that knowing how many uh, decks cards are reported in is valuable information. So, like, I'm looking at... Oh, yeah. I, I'm currently looking at... Wait, did, did they change it back? Because now I'm looking at... They might have. He, he Now I'm looking at Throne of Eldraine, and it's back to how it was before. Maybe maybe they actually have already changed yeah. this again. And keep in mind, remember, just it was just, like, two weeks ago that I was saying, oh, instead of, like, the, the card page being of all time, now it's... They had done... You know, the commanders show, like, this week, this month, last two years... They were doing that to the other sections of the website, like black cards this week, this month, last two years. And I'm like, oh, this is really good because the black cards were clogged up by stuff that was in every single EDH deck for a very long time, but might not be as popular now. And changing it to this means we can actually see what's good okay, lately, so, so, which is going to tell us so, what's so, selling, except they rolled those back. Yeah, they yeah, rolled yeah, those yeah. changes back. I told you two weeks, they just came out and now they're gone again. Yeah, so let me let me adjust what I was saying there then. What I would like to see on this page that would assist us <laughs> when this massive pile of commander cards comes out in 2020 would be a filter to reorganize these by number of decks they are claimed to be in. Because no matter what Jason says, that is still a valuable stat. You still want to know the raw number of people that have been thinking about the card and putting it in and writing it into yeah. a list. Because that, that, that is roughly analogous at some hazy multiplier we've never quite figured out but that we know exists, how many copies are getting bought? Yeah, I want to see the total number of decks that a card is in. So how many total decks in EDH Rux history are playing Blind Obedience? And I also want to see how many in the last week, month, and two years have added Blind Obedience. And like, not only do I want to see how many decks in the last six months have added Blind Obedience... How many decks that were created within the last six months like, of you added see it? The, you, you actually, so, like, if the deck already existed and added it, that's different to me than a deck that was created and added it. Like, you might be able to find patterns there, too. Of course, the data they have might not be that sophisticated. I think the stat we're actually looking for is relative popularity. So, popularity relative to time frame and to other options. One of the, one of the things they... The, the current organization on the page I'm looking at is organized by the cards that have the greatest saturation. So, for instance, Arcane Signet is in 32% of all possible decks, which is probably really low because it should be in every deck. Um, Faberow Elder is, by this method of organizing the cards, the second most important card if you're considering in its in its color scheme how important is it. But Yes. But the silly thing about that is you could have a five color card there that might be in, that might just be such a perfect five color card it shows up in 100% of five color builds but if five color builds are only 4% of the marketplace then it's still not as important as whatever card has the top number of decks. <laughs> well th this has been the case for a while now with the website and you just kind of had to to recognize what you were looking at and you know when you looked at monocolored cards it, it all works. Um, and it was what it wasn't until you looked at the set pages 
or the multicolor page specifically that it started to get really wonky. Because again, you can look at the individual card page and you're like, yeah, Fabro Elder is the most second popular, second most popular card in the deck at 650 decks, but uh, actually. Sir Conrad shows up in fourth, but he's in nearly twice as many lists. Well, Fable Passage um, should be a hard lock for second because it's in 1,559 reported decks. Right, but the overall percentage is less because it can go into every single list. Right, and it exists because it's not colored. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, I agree. But like, I consider that kind of a see, minor the, the annoyance. The thing about percentage is it only really tells you whether the market has figured, indicates whether the market has figured out that they're supposed to be playing the card. Whereas the, the reports of inclusion and lists is a hard confirmation that people intend to play the card. Well, like, and, and, uh, the, and the, the import- underscoring of that is Arcane Signet. It says 32% of 13,745. Well, Arcane Signet goes in every single commander deck. It should be 100%. So I'm much more... Well, I don't agree with that. Add, but... add one mana of any color in your commander's color identity. Yeah, it's 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 I, I, it's that it, in a monocolor deck, it's it's pretty mediocre. But everywhere else, it's good. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that like Chromatic Lantern is probably better. You know, Soul Ring, Chromatic Lantern, and some of the big, well, but those, bigger, bigger, those, those are those are auto includes in most decks too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't. I mean, is I don't. I'm not going to get into whether or not your deck should be running ten monorocks. Um, the sum text here is you and I are coming to this website to look for a spe- for information that with a specific intent. We have a purpose when we're using this website. Our purpose is different than people who come here only to build EDH decks. The, the way that we want to see the right. data is fed very much by our goal to profit on this. But if I'm just looking to build decks, I want different types of information. So I respect... That they are not interested in servicing you and I. Well, I I was fine. I, I think that they will broaden their audience to add the filter I requested. <laughs> the because people will use it. The the fact that he has not added filters, and this deck has been around for this site has been around for a while, and he's clearly doing work with how the information is displayed, but still won't give us filters kind of leads me to believe he might not or at least at this point in time he thinks that he shouldn't for whatever reason whether it's too work intensive or he doesn't I'll, want I'll us t- to I'll know tell you what whatever, instead of all the speculation let's get Jason and somebody else on that team on here and they can tell us what's what well I, I you know Jason's is great to talk to but I got the impression he wasn't really involved at that level like he does like content stuff but I didn't think he was really involved in how they those types of decisions i guess let, i would expect that would just be like the uh, programming again, guy. rather than speculating let's ask and find out we'll uh we'll, we'll, we'll listen what on. are we doing here if not speculating <laughs> true that's the whole damn point true. of this so let's podcast. circle way back around the corner commander legends is a huge opportunity it's going to make us a bunch of money as is pretty much every other one of these commander releases getting seven decks a year plus a uh eight great green cards reprinted with new art in the, in the summer and then a big master's release in the fall and the other thing about that is it tells you that there is no pioneer masters in that slot next fall and forsyth claimed that that a pioneer masters wasn't even on their radar which suggests that there's no pioneer masters in the next six months which might mean there's no uh, competitive masters style product premium product planned for all of 2020 
yeah, I don't think that's an unbelievable thing. I, I, that sounds totally viable to me. Because they might be thinking they're going to let... Keep in mind, Modern Horizons is still technically in print. Although I would be very surprised if the print, printers weren't actually just shut down at this point. Um, I, I think that yep. the sales of booster packs and Modern Horizons are probably falling off a cliff with with yep. people... Be, with, with Wizards telegraphing their lack of support for the format um, and intention to swap it out for Pioneer. Uh, so could be that you know even with modern not getting as many tournaments next year people maybe not committing to as many decks there could still be some reasonable appreciation especially in cross format stuff if there are modern cards that are also good in edh or modern cards that are also good in pioneer you could see some real healthy appreciation through 2020 yeah i mean i still don't I, I think a modern has lost a tremendous amount of its purchasing power, so to speak. Uh, I would say modern has dropped off in its ability to move card prices by, I would go as high as like 70%. Well, and there's no way we can, no way to here, really quantify this, the, but here's the thing you're not seeing dealers fire sale modern cards hard yet. The buy lists have definitely gotten worse. But buy less at major events recently still included plenty of modern cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I just, but, but I'm saying like, mo, you know, when we talked about like, well, what's going to move card prices? EDH was number one and modern is number two. Uh, and and modern was, is the type of place that I look to like, you really wanted to look to and see like, yes, you would get your EDH releases that would generate a huge amount of card movement right at once. But other than that, all of the like sudden exciting price changes came from modern. And I think that has just dropped off a cliff yeah, that, like significantly. It's pioneer commander then modern now. Yeah. And I think the gap between pioneer and modern at this point is, is already gotten humongous. Well, and, it, and if they is, fix is standard, then, you know, standard and modern might not be too far off each other at this point. Yeah, 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 and because people will still play modern because they have to, as long as Wizards is supporting formats. But like, you know, if some cool new deck shows up in modern, uh, you're not going to see it spike prices the way it used to because people aren't going to care. Fi- Be like, oh yeah, oh well, that's that yeah, whatever, that's in modern. But I'm not going to a modern GP, so I don't care. A, a anymore. final note on that topic: the the first thing I would look at divesting from your modern collection is well, first of all, just get rid of your modern stuff you're not playing. <laughs> if you've got modern specs. You just start at the fringiest stuff. So if you were sitting on any kind of nonsense, like I was going to say aggressive mining, but that's so far off the radar for modern. It's not even relevant to the discussion. Um, if you're sitting on like Soren Solemn Visitor, hoping that uh, Black White Tokens is going to make a comeback or Bitter Blossom or something. Ad nauseum. Sure. Fuck no. Get it. Get rid of all that stuff. Like, yeah. And the only and the only way you're going to get caught out is when a few years down the road they reprint some of these modern cards into Pioneer, which I'm confident they will do. Yep. Yeah. Some of the some of those ultimately thrust to reprints will make them back in. This is what I did. Is as soon as you know within like a couple days of Pioneer's announcement, I went through all of my spec boxes and said, "Oh, if you are not legal in Pioneer." And you are not also an EDH spec, you're gone. You're getting buy listed. Um, 
because that you know i don't know exactly what's going to happen to you but i know that i don't want to find out <laughs> i know i don't want to be hanging on to you and waiting for the ride yep like if for instance if pioneer didn't exist and they were un lowering support for modern for some other reason you wouldn't want to be hang clinging to your foil felidar guardians for dear life yeah okay it's a lot, okay. and I'm sure we'll have more to talk about next week. Um, but let's uh, let's bring this to a close here, James. Where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at mdgcrinic, as well as via my weekly articles on mdgprice.com. I might also like to congratulate Justin, uh, username Justin, hanging out in the ProTrader Discord. You just won a $25 gift certificate to Cool Stuff, Inc. Uh Go uh, forth and spend lots of money so they keep giving us those sweet, sweet prizes. And I'm Travis Salen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Right every Monday for MTG Price doing the uh, Watchtower series and also, obviously, this podcast. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. And just to bring it all the way back around to the very, well, not the very, very beginning of the cast, but close to the beginning. Uh, if you were interested in our chatter about Diablo earlier, the uh, I recommend you guys, it's a personal recommendation that you check out Path of Exile. And they are doing their big announcement about Patch 4.0, which is like a huge deal for them in, I think, two weeks. So uh, if ARPGs are your thing, keep an eye out for that because it uh, might be something you enjoy. Uh, otherwise, James, uh, another great episode. And I am looking forward to seeing you uh, next Thursday. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.